Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Creative Source with Andy Osho. That's me, your host. This is a podcast about creativity for creatives. Doesn't matter where you are on your journey, whether you're a pro or just starting out, whether you're returning, this is the conversation for you. We've talked about rejection, your creative hustle, and this week we're talking about criticism. Thank you everyone who's shown some love on Patreon. If you want to join in and show some love too, then just hop onto patreon.com forward slash creative source with Andy Osho. And there's several tiers that you can sponsor this podcast with. And every single penny is so, so appreciated. All right, let's get into today's topic. So criticism. And I kind of broke this down, I think, into, hang on, let me see. One, one, two, one, two, three, basically four categories. I've broken this down into four categories. And and the thing is with criticism is it's something that as an artist, you are destined to have to contend with. And so I think it's an important topic to discuss like early doors. So the first of the four um, areas that I broke it down into was your inner critic, Because we always think of criticism coming from outside, but we forget about the one that we hear the most, our own internal dialogue telling us all kinds of things, not good enough, never going to be ready, now's not the time, no one's going to like it, no one's going to care, you're on your own, you know, whatever that mental chatter is, it can be constant. And for some people, it can be debilitating. And so it's an important thing to... um, 
you know, contextualize in its appropriate space so that it doesn't do that to us. Because the last thing we would want is if we've got this great, you know, either creative burning passion or an idea that we really want to put out into the world is for our, our very own being to be the thing that gets in the way of the rest of the world experiencing it. So here's some thoughts about that inner critic, because really, for my money, I would say that it's there simply to keep us safe. That's what that inner critic voice is. I'd actually heard somebody say, you know, be careful what you say to your children, because that becomes their inner monologue. And so that inner critic you'll find that probably there are some resonances with what was said to you or what you heard or what you, how you interpreted what was said to you when you were growing up, when you were a child. And so that noise, it's primarily and it's ultimately completely mechanical, but it is there to keep us safe. What that voice wants is for everything just to stay the same. If it had its way, it would have you Netflixing with no chilling like day in, day out, just doing exactly the same things every day. It just wants things to be safe. And as far as it's concerned, safety is keeping everything the same. That's what it wants. And so all the criticisms that it comes up with, all the things that it says to you are literally just it doing its very best to keep things the same. But what it does is it masquerades these or these things that it says masquerade as good ideas. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're, you're probably not good enough. So best not to try. Yeah, you're right. Somebody has already done it. So it's not worth giving it a go. Or you're probably not good enough. So get yourself some more training and some more education before you start. And it's all in service of keeping things safe. Now, that's only a part of what's going on within our minds. But it is a part that can have some real power. And so... A lot of, um, you know, kind of meditation and stuff like that, or, or teachers of meditation and mental sort of mastery and things like that, will have you believe that this mechanical process, this, you know, this mental chatter is controllable. It isn't. You know, it's like that classic thing, don't think of pink elephants. Well, I've now got a parade of them going around my head, and maybe you do too. So it's not about trying to control it. I would say it's about giving it its appropriate context. And so... As much as there is that noise going on, that part of you that's telling you you're not good enough or not ready or whatever it may be, there is also a part of you that feels you are ready. Otherwise, that conversation wouldn't even be starting in your head. And so when we give that sort of inner critic its appropriate context, it gives room for the part of us that does believe in ourselves and is quietly confident that this actually could be okay. And I'm going to just give this a go and I'm just going to say, what if? What if I do do this? And so rather than trying to control, we give it its uh, appropriate context. Um, an example for me was a few years ago, I was on a personal development course. And part of, the, um, part of what we had to do was we had to uh, create a project. And mine was to, uh, it was to hold a salon. And um, I, I, I don't know how I came across this um, term or whatever, but it was something that sort of French um, fancy types used to do back in the day. And they would, it was basically getting together a bunch of sort of progressive thinkers, artists, you know, philosophers, that type of thing, and sitting around and exchanging ideas. And they were called salons. And so I thought, I'm going to have a salon. And I thought, I'm going to make this really lovely. I remember I designed, I, you know, designed the, the artwork for it. I 
decided that I was going to invite everybody by letter as well, because I thought, how often do you get a letter these days that isn't a bill, you know? So I thought, I'm going to write and I'm going to make sure nobody knows each other so nobody can go into cliques and stuff like that. I had this all figured out. Anyway, so comes the day where I uh, it's time to post the letters. Uh, and this is the first real bold step I've taken to, to make this happen, apart from finding the venue. And I remember so clearly I had the letters in my hand and I got this really lovely um, stationery, um, you know, textured stationery, printed it out in colour. What? I'd use my colour cartridges for this. This was serious. And I was on the way to the post office and I remember thinking, no one's going to come. Who would want to do this? everyone's going to think I'm stupid or that it's like uncool or whatever. And there was a strong urge to turn back. But I remember just keeping on going and walking to the post office or the letterbox or whatever and posting those letters and feeling so different on the other side of having posted those letters because it was almost like I'd made a declaration that this is going to be you know, this little event is going to be, and it was really lovely in the end. It was like, you know, some people did, couldn't make it, but a lot of people came and I arranged for gifts for them. And David the Yellower, the actor, he came and he gave a talk and so, uh, there was somebody who, who was uh, sharing their artwork. You know, it was just a really lovely event. But there was a, a version of the outcome of this that would have been it not happening if I'd listened to that inner voice. So I gave it its appropriate context of it not being the sort of dominant factor, not being the deciding factor of whether this thing was going to be or not. And that allowed it to be, but it didn't negate the voice. Because the voice isn't not us. It is us. It is us. It's just a part of us. It isn't all of us. But sometimes I think we can allow it to completely consume us to the point where we do believe that's all we are, is this yakking away going on in our heads. Context, appropriate context. You know, some people think that um, <laughs> you have to be quite sort of, I don't know, like that being an artist and being that vulnerable is almost a form of weakness. But let me tell you, overcoming those sorts of things is real warrior work, actually. And uh, as much as, you know, we're not fighting fires, and we're not saving lives, you do have to have a particular constitution to be able to work in the arts because you have to at once be vulnerable to be able to create your art and be open to the magnificence and the sort of brutality of the universe but you also have to be made of steel to deal with criticism whether it comes from the inside or the outside Let's hear um, a little of what you guys think. So once again, uh, Gwenifer has come through. She's so good at coming coming back with like really great thoughts and um, comments to share on um, all the topics, actually. And I think I feel like, Gwenifer, you're in like um, a really um, important part of your creative journey because you I feel I can feel that you're you're thinking a lot about the things that I'm, I'm talking about in the podcast but you say your opinion is that there are two different types of criticism one that's just um, said because of jealousy or a dislike and the other to improve you so it's hard to find out which is which but the first should not be taken too seriously and the second is actually just helping so I would consider thinking about them a bit uh, so the only problem for me with these are accepting that my original work wasn't perfect and uh, uh, my ego just has to be quiet, quietened uh, so that I can grow. So how do you differentiate, um, Gwenifer asks, the good criticism, criticism from the bad? And how do you quiet the ego so that you're ready to change um, what you've been criticised about? 
really good question. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, it is, it is hard to know <laughs> at the end of the day, what is jealousy and what is real because someone can give good, a good critique, but it's being fueled by their jealousy. That's, some twisted stuff and 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 so that that is quite hard to um uh to 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 reconcile how do you how do you how do you differentiate one from the other so i say rather than worrying about is this jealousy or is this good criticism is the question really to ask oneself is, is this useful? If I think about what this person has suggested or is saying about my work, if I action what they're proposing, or if I start to sort of unpick what I've done and, 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 and create based on what they're, what they're suggesting, will it improve what I've done? Will I feel I've improved something? And also there is something to be said for really uh, evaluating where they are in their progress. It, 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 you know, do you know what I mean? I, I'm trying to say this delicately, but basically I'll say, look, if someone's never written anything, they are they really in a position to critique your writing? If someone's never painted, uh, what, what, what facility do they have to to appraise your work. It's not to say they don't, because it's like, let's say for example, um, example, somebody has been an art critic, right? And you ask them to appraise your work. Obviously they've got a different, they may not have ever painted, but they do have a view into the world and they will, they will know what sells, for example, or what's popular. Now, does that mean they know what's good or what you should create? Not necessarily, but they do have a window, a professional expert window into the world. But if you're just asking some Joe, <laughs> um, then it's not that you disregard what they say because everyone's opinion, you know, it, it can be valid, but it's to say you have to um, appraise the value it's going to be to you. So not the value of someone's opinion, but the value to you. So it, it could be that they, they say something useful, but they have no expertise in that area. But if it's useful, then it's useful. It doesn't matter what they know or what they don't know. You know, someone who has no expertise could say, hey, have you ever tried, why don't you, why don't you focus on the, the, the mother character? She was really interesting. I really liked her scene. She was really funny. And you go, oh my God, I've never thought of that. Because you're so, you know, you might have been so set on like how this, how your idea is going to open up, uh, uh, open out that you, that the making the mother front and center never occurred. That person doesn't know about screenwriting. All they know is that they enjoyed that character. And if that, changes your script for the better or whatever project you're working on for the better, then the, the advice was useful. And that's it, isn't it? Is it useful or is it not useful? And if, you know, the jealousy bit, that's on them. You know, if that's where they're coming from, then that's something to reconcile in their own hearts. You, you needn't worry about that. All you need to worry about is whether it was useful for you or not. And then your second question about, um, how do you quieten the ego? You may not be able to. The, all you need really is to be able to distinguish the ego. Like if you can hear that your ego is somehow trying to um, prevent you from listening to the, the advice or pushing back or being defensive, as long as you, you are aware of it, then you can sort of sideline it a little, side, you know, sideline it, yeah. 
you don't need to quieten it necessarily because the problem with quietening is that you then go into a battle with the ego and the ego will always win because you know why? Battling with your ego is actually your ego battling with itself. So it's just more energy to the ego, like trying to punch yourself in the face to win a battle. You know what I mean? All right, so you punch yourself in the face. Good, you punched yourself in the face. You won, but now you've been punched in the face. Do you know what I mean? So, so trying to quieten the ego is the ego battling itself. All you need to do is just set it aside and acknowledge and distinguish, ah, my ego is being provoked because I can, I can tell it's being provoked because I'm being defensive or I'm trying to ex give excuses or I'm trying to justify or I'm talking too much and not listening to the other person. As soon as you spot all those tells, or, you know, whatever the tells are, you know, whatever the tells look like in your neck of the woods, then you know, oh, okay, good. I can just set that aside and now listen um, to what the person's trying to actually tell me. And then, you know, to go back to your first question, decide whether it's of use to me. So I hope that um, is helpful. Hello, I'm Lucian Samati, and you are listening to Creative Source with Andy Osho. But don't just take my word for it. Here's some advice from the fantastic Roshin Conaty on criticism. It's hard and it's part and parcel of any creative work because it's normally seen by other people. <laughs> and they'll tell you what they think of it. Um, I think all you can ever control is your efforts and your heart and your intention. And if you have worked as hard as you can and um, you feel that the work is a truthful and honest expression of the idea you had, then you have to let it go. Um, and that's even with praise, you know? You can't live in other people's responses. Um, you know, that's just... You make the work and then that's it. It's none of your business. Um, constructive criticism, of course, is useful. Um, respectful criticism is useful. Um, if you get a note for a script, that's worth so much. But everyone's a critic now. On social media, people come on and it's a lot, I think. And if for some reason something doesn't land, it's going to not land in a very big way because there's so many people are going to run on and tell you that they didn't like it. And I think that's what you have to guard against, guard your spirit and, uh, you know, take what works, take what's respectful and useful and leave the rest. But, um, yeah, it's never easy. That was Roshin giving her advice on criticism. Don't forget, we have a Patreon page. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe and become a patron to this podcast to keep this conversation alive. This conversation is for all creatives and I really want to like create a community here actually of people who support each other no matter what discipline they're from and no matter what part of the journey they're on. And that could all happen on the Patreon page. Patreon.com forward slash creative source with Andy Osho. So once we've um, given our inner critic its appropriate context, what next? Well, let's assume that we've got over that hump and we started to create. Now, in a lot of fields, not all fields, I should imagine, but in a lot. Actually, you know what? I might stick my neck out and say all fields. There comes a time when your work needs feedback. 
And so this could be the next wave of criticism. Now, I noticed that like in the previous episodes and probably going forward, this will be the case that I'm going to reference worlds that I know, you know, like the stand up world, writing, acting, that type of thing. So forgive me if I'm not talking about your specific um, discipline, but I hope that a lot of what I'm saying will still be applicable. So particularly with screenwriting, um, so this is, this is, you know, something I know a lot about is receiving feedback. The first place you're going to probably want to go to are your peers. Either they're going to be friends or they're going to be um, friends who actually work in that field. So with screenwriting, you're often asking friends, would you have a look at this script? Let me know what you think. And, and, you know, you ask them for feedback. So this is the sort of next tier. This is the first tier of like external feedback coming back into you. And I actually think that if one is unwilling to do that, if that sends shivers down your spine, that that is an alarm bell. That tells you, you know something about the work that you're sharing that you're not willing to admit. Because if you don't want your friends to see it, who may be, who may be uh, peers who are professionals or they may just be friends who, who work in other fields, if you don't want them to see it, why on earth would you want the rest of the world to see it? So as awful and uncomfortable as it can be sometimes, it is really important to be able to um, gather peer feedback because it's a friendly audience. And the good thing is it's not yet out in the field. It's not out there in the world for professional, um, you know, decision makers and stuff to, to, to critique or to reject or whatever. Peer feedback is so valuable and it is one that you should, whenever possible and at the appropriate time, always seek before you send stuff out. If you have just literally something's come hot off the press, whatever it may be, and you're sending it out immediately, you're most likely going to get rejection because you haven't even given it room to breathe so that you can look at it objectively, let alone, you know, uh, yeah, that's it, actually. That's the end of the sentence. You need to give it room to breathe so even you can start to look at it objectively before you start to ask peers or, you know, even more so professionals to look at it objectively. So I would say always look for peer uh, peer feedback. It is invaluable. Um, and if, you, if you're unwilling to do that, it tells you something about your piece that you haven't quite reconciled yet. And also, uh, you know, when you, when you start to look for uh, peer feedback, I would say pick, pick wisely. <laughs> You know, and it's not to say that some people are better than feedback than others. Some some people are, you know, say, for example, if they do work in the field, they might be better at giving feedback than somebody who doesn't. But, it, you know, just because somebody isn't a professional artist, it doesn't mean that their opinions are invalid it, it, because they're giving a gut instinct. And ultimately, at the end of the day, they're going to be your they're going to be your ultimate audience. So the art is learning to interpret those notes so that they can be useful for you. But my point around picking um, the person to go to for this initial feedback is that we all know that person in our circle who is a brutal when it comes to giving feedback. Don't take your stuff to them first, you know, because if you show them whatever it is you've created and they're like, dude, what? <laughs> you, it's going to be, it's going to be crushing. Go to the people that are kind of a bit more generously spirited or that they're, you know, they, they, they work hard to give some constructive feedback. And then as your, um, 
work starts to get more robust with each iteration of it, then you can go to those, you know, brutal types who will just tell it like it is. Now, obviously, don't go to someone who's going to just be a complete arsehole about it. If someone enjoys like tearing somebody's work apart, obviously, that's not a person to go to. But, you know, there are people, and I have to say, I think at times I have been that person, who uh, they are kind of harsh actually, or not harsh, but they kind of take no prisoners when they give their notes. So so pick wisely who you go to for notes. And as I say, learn to interpret those notes. Um, recently, uh, I uh, took my camera to like a little family get together and I took a photo of my niece, my niece, sorry, my cousin. My cousin was in the foreground and my brother was in the background and he was sort of slightly out of focus. And um, I, I was really pleased with this picture because I thought it just like, you know, evoked a mood. Anyway, so I showed, I showed it to my mum and she went, oh, you didn't get Phil. Phil's my brother. <laughs> and I was like, um, I was going for something quite artistic, actually, mother. Um, and then I thought, actually, her initial response you know, if I if I stop a second and try not to invalidate her her response, let me see what I can get from that. And I thought, well, maybe my composition isn't right. Maybe my brother is too much in the fall or too um, prominent in the frame. So it looks like the subject of this photo is out of focus. So there's always something to gain from somebody, whatever, wherever they are um, in the spectrum of their sort of creativity, whether they're doing it professionally or they just enjoy consuming it. Just a specific tip for um, screenwriters that I got from a, a great screenwriting uh, coach that I've worked with for a couple of years named Corey Mandel. He's based in LA. And he said that a lot of time, when, uh, particularly when screenwriters, and I'd probably say this is true of most writers, when we share our work, we often have a different idea of what, what this is, what our work is, compared to what the reader experiences. So, for example, you might write something and you think this is a rip-roaring adventure that's about, you know, about a guy trying to, you know, find his kid that's been kidnapped or whatever. And um, the person reading it might go, oh, no, I, th I thought it was a guy trying to, um, trying to reconcile whether he wanted to have children or not. And you're like, what? Where did you get that from? But the point is, is that Often when writers write something, the reader experiences something different and we can't get why um, nobody's seeing our vision. So his suggestion was to ask questions rather than ask for feedback. So basically interview your um, whoever is giving you feedback. So who did you think the main characters were? Even that, that sounds like such a basic question, but even that, if you think your main character is Mark and Ade, and your your reader comes back and, and says, oh, I thought Simi was the main character. Who's, which one is Mark again? That tells you something about Mark's characterization and his prominence in the script. So so his advice was to interview your, and, and that, then that means that they don't have to spend so much time having to write up loads of notes as well. So if you give them your script, your screenplay or, you know, your play or whatever it is, and then afterwards you have a conversation with them, what did you think this was about? Who was the antagonist? You know, all those sorts of things. You'll discover what's actually on the page as opposed to what you think is on the page. So that was just a little tip uh, that I got from uh, that writing coach. The other thing as well with regard to peer feedback, um, and if you write, um, and particularly if you write screenplays, you would have asked for feedback and probably been asked for feedback 
quite a lot. One thing to remember is to be compassionate. Um, so um, oh, quite a while ago now, it's probably five or six years ago, uh, I asked a friend to have a look at a screenplay and his notes came back and they were brutal. He absolutely took down my script. Oh, that's how it felt anyways. And I was really cross actually with him for, for these notes. But also what, what ended up happening is I abandoned the script. I was so demoralized by the notes that I, I just let, lost faith in the idea and I just, you know, just let it go. Now, there's two things at play there is the notes that he gave, but also, you know, how passionate was I really about this script if I was willing to let it go like that. But there was something about it that really made me me think. And it was to do with notes that I had given on a screenplay a little while before that. Now, a friend of mine, or so, was someone I don't really see very often anymore, but he, he asked me to have a look at his script. And I did. And I did not think it was very good. And I went to town telling him why not. I was almost enjoying how terrible it was and telling him how terrible it was um, in a sort of perverse way. And so I sent him these notes and um, yeah, the next time I saw him, I couldn't work out why he was being off with me because it's just like, I spent ages writing these really comprehensive notes for you. So um, a little thank you. <laughs> Anyways, you know, didn't see him for ages and ages. And then I got these notes back on my screenplay from this friend and it all fell into place. I was like, Oh, oh my God. Like everything I'd said to this other friend, to, you know, regarding their screenplay, uh, suddenly they just felt like needles. And I could see why he had been so off with me. And I know this probably sounds obvious after the fact, but at the time it just didn't until I'd been on the receiving end and realized, oh, you have to be really mindful of how you give notes to your peers because that's someone's baby, that's their work. And even though, you know, we are encouraged not to be too precious about these things and be willing to let them go if it's not going to work out. Equally, someone has put time, love, effort, energy, research into this project. So for us to just go, well, that character art didn't make any sense. And why, oh, why did you have blah, blah, blah at this point? Doing any of that is so, so unkind and unfair. And you wouldn't want to be treated like that at the end of the day. So why treat your, your fellow writers or fellow creatives like that? So make sure you are so compassionate when you're giving notes. So that is the end of the first half of the conversation on criticism. There's so much to say on this that I've actually split this recording into two episodes. Next time, we're going to be looking at other forms of criticism. It's more about when your work gets out there into the world. Thank you, Roisin, for your advice to Soho Works, for the space and for the podcast kit to record this. To my patrons who are keeping this conversation going. And by the way, just so you know, my book, Asking for a Friend, is out now. And if you feel so inclined to buy it for yourself or as a gift for a friend, uh, I would love that. Anyway, see you guys very soon. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I hope you enjoyed that episode of Creative Source. If you're looking for more support with your creative journey, I'm offering one-to-one online mentoring. Perhaps you want to launch a project but don't know where to start. Maybe you've got stuck around a certain issue, need some advice, or just want to bounce ideas around. Whatever it is, I'm here. Just hit the Patreon link in the show notes or go to patreon.com forward slash creative source with Andy Osho to find out more.